0: This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 10th of May, 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here's my co-host, Jan. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jan. How are you in your fabulous new role?
1: Well, I'm still here. As you mentioned on the previous podcast, I am changing roles but not leaving the podcast. So if anybody had any doubts on that, I'm still here. And yeah, as uh, you mentioned, things I've been doing in the last two weeks uh, mostly has been changing jobs. As uh, most of uh, our listeners would know, I've been a very satisfied employee of Hortonworks for the last year or so. Had a lot of fun in that job, but uh, as in this ever-changing world of big data, there's a lot of opportunities out there, and sometimes something comes along you just can't say no to. And s- since last week, I am now an employee of Microsoft. Ooh. I've been able to combine my love for cloud and big data, and I joined the Azure team at Microsoft.
0: Very good. Yeah, I so, think so. A newfound focus for uh, for doing everything in a uh, software as a service cloud environment.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at my LinkedIn, uh, in my previous previous job, I was actually f- developing a public cloud for the for the Netherlands uh, region. So Cloud's always been a bit of a passion of me, and uh, now I can just do both. Now, it does mean I have to say goodbye to a lot of old colleagues who are excellent people at Hortonworks. Now I say goodbye in that professional sense. I still keep in touch with a lot of them, you amongst them. And I've got uh, to meet a lot of new people, also excellent people at Microsoft. So it's uh, been a uh, busy few weeks, been a big transition, of course, but uh, it's been a fun one.
0: Very good. Oh. For
1: anybody out there trying to make a career in big data, there's plenty of opportunities out there.
0: Very much so. Very true indeed, and I think that's one of the one of the most exciting things around this is that there is just so much opportunity, and it, it's uh, for me it, the conversation is more around picking picking the thing that's uh, that's going to give you. Um, the the right mix of different uh, different skills and also the right mix of different engagements that are going to fire you up, getting you excited. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a very new
1: area, so it is a, it's a it's it's a lot of hard work. So you have to pick an area that you actually are passionate about, things you like doing, because this is no way a nine to five job ever. Yep. Yeah. So, well, that's been two weeks, and other things I've been doing is um our listeners will probably notice that this episode is a lot louder than the earlier ones. We actually had a listener feedback uh, telling us that our uh, podcast is a lot more silent than uh, other podcasts are, and I've done some research and learned things about something called LUFS, L-U-F-S, which is a loudness indication, and uh, that person was totally correct. We were actually at half uh, half sound level. So I'm now changing things a bit, and this episode should be a lot louder and in sync with all other podcasts out there. If, dear listener, you think this is now too loud or still not loud enough, please let us know. We're happy to adjust and uh, do what we can to make it good. And one final thing I did is fighting with iTunes. iTunes, everybody loves it. But there's some strange things going behind the scenes there. Because for some reason, you may have noticed that episode 12 does not list on iTunes yet. I have no idea why. Nothing's different. All the other episodes are on there. Still looking into it. But if you want to listen to episode 12, go to the blog site or any other podcasting uh, software out there. Because it's at far as far as I know, it's only iTunes that's refusing to show episode 12. And no, Dave has not been a naughty boy. It's still a clean podcast. So that can't be it
0: yeah and uh, just, just for clarity not everybody loves iTunes I despise iTunes but there we
1: go uh, yeah but it's a good tool it's easy and if you're in the Mac world it's well it's the granddaddy of podcasting <laughs> software there right
0: it, and even if you're in the Mac world iTunes is still terrible but it, it's yeah. a great source of, of, of our listeners so we we love anybody that struggles their way through iTunes to, to get to hear us
1: <laughs> anyway that's it for me what, uh, what have you been up to
0: uh, so, the last two weeks, uh, I had an on-site workshop with uh, European telco. Um, covered, you know, quite a, a range of different topics. Um, a big focus on security, um, as they've got some fairly uh, fairly serious security audits coming up throughout the throughout this year. Actually, um, one around kind of mid-year, uh, and then a, an externally driven one coming towards the end of the year. So real focus on platform security and understanding. Um, you know, and this is a, an ongoing series of conversations that we've been having with them as they uh, go further and further into this and, and uh, you know tighten up their security across the environment. Um, so really good, really productive uh, and they're really happy at the end of it. Uh, security teams were happy that uh, they could achieve what they needed to. Um, the other kind of topics covered were around the um, They're looking to build um, a Hadoop as a service platform, Um, and again, this is another kind of ongoing conversation we've been having, Uh, and you know, continue to drive that conversation forward with uh, working out, you know, some going ever into more detail as to how they're going to actually deploy this. And uh, so that's that was uh, a fairly fairly sizable chunk of uh, of one week.
1: Yeah, the Hadoop as a service thing is sometimes pops up more and more, doesn't it? more of the maybe not the smaller businesses but the semi large to large companies all try to put this up as a a core service they want to offer across the board
0: yeah and if you if you look at it actually the i mean hadoop as a service means different things to different people so just mm-hmm. just Absolutely. to be clear for for telcos it usually means uh, offering hadoop to uh, you know their enterprise customers that maybe already have you know maybe hosting services or other services with them um, but actually, Hadoop as a service is something that, as as you mentioned, Jan, other organisations are also talking about because they're offering, you know, Hadoop as a service, or data as a service, or analytics as a service within their own organisations, and they're still calling it, you know, whatever as a service. Um, so I think there's, you know, one of those things is more of a more of a, a you know a multi-tenant data lake conversation, and the others is the other one is potentially, um, you know, spinning up multiple Hadoop environments.
1: Yeah, but the end, result, uh, end goal is usually, I think, uh, making adoption easier. Having uh, yes. grounds, uh, a ground plan laid out that you just can put in place and start using it instead of doing all the thinking every single time when you roll out a new cluster.
0: Absolutely right. I mean, anything, and I think this is this is true across all all of Hadoop. Uh, more so than uh, than some other areas, is anything you can do to automate. Uh, you know, deployment or any kind of operation, in fact, um, within Hadoop is is going to be time well spent, you know, any kind of scale out technology, whether you're talking about cloud or uh, Hadoop and big data, um, scale out means lots and lots of, you know, very similar looking nodes in many cases. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be handcrafting anything.
1: No, no, no. Ease of use is uh, very important, and that's actually something we're going to talk more about in our second section for this podcast. But more about that in a second.
0: All right. Um, and the other things, uh, it almost feels like I've been on a, a fortnight of SaaS and Hadoop, really, because uh, <laughs> I've had um, I've had you know three different uh, you know major focuses over the last uh, couple of weeks that have all been around um, SaaS and Hadoop. So. The first one was a session with a, a customer fairly new to uh, new to Hadoop. Um, you know they've got an existing uh, enterprise data warehouse or EDW, and you know they're just starting to understand you know what Hadoop might uh, might do for them. They're a big SaaS customer who did a, a ran a, a joint uh, you know afternoon um, workshop with that customer with SaaS. Uh, really good. I, I've always enjoyed working with SaaS um, as a. As a partner, uh, I think they, you know, they bring a nice kind of synergy to what they do. Um, and there's, there's not a great deal of overlap between the two organizations, technologies. So those, those kind of meetings I always find really collaborative and usually really valuable for the customer. Um, the second one was, uh, you know, long, long established telco customer of ours. Um, and I basically, I ran a, a workshop, half day workshop on uh, real time stream processing. Um, and uh, you know, talked about some of the components within the the open source and big data world, with like uh, Storm and Kafka and uh, NiFi, uh, and also talked about uh, about SaaS for, for doing that, and also you know how these different technologies can can integrate and collaborate. And in fact, I think that might be a good topic for another podcast because uh, I think that's uh, it's an area that you know, just. Comes up again and again. Yeah, it would be new for me as well, because I've seen
1: a lot of interaction between SAS and things like Spark for machine learning and things like that. But uh, real time streaming and SAS, that's something I haven't uh, played with myself. So yeah, it would be nice Indeed. to dig into that.
0: Sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll queue that up in the list. Um, and then the the other one, which uh, again is kind of leaning into this multi-tenant environment uh, conversation, is uh, you know an insurance company I've been working with, um, and you know they've we've been working with them for a while now, uh, and some of the conversations they've been having that initially they were thinking about having you know a separate SaaS on Hadoop environment uh, alongside an existing data lake, uh, and now they're they're thinking around um, you know moving that to a full. Uh, multi-tenant data lake environment with you know a subset of the nodes uh, running SaaS. So, you know, having the conversation, you know, there are some pros and cons to these things. You have to understand, you know, it's not quite as as simple as uh, as you might initially think. You know, there are some considerations for uh, data deployment, for example, um, you know, for, for setting up um, the Yarn labels in the mm-hmm. correct way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, there have been a couple of a couple of, uh, a couple of Fairly long-standing issues within Yarn um, that uh, you know had had held up a previous pilot project with another organisation. Uh, thankfully, um, those those kind of key issues are, are now all resolved. So they were resolved within the HDP uh, two point three uh, timeline and backported into those versions. So uh, anybody looking to, to go down that route should be fairly uh, mm-hmm. fairly safe and secure in that. Uh, uh, but again, another so. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of SAS on Hadoop this last fortnight. Yeah, ju- just you mentioned there's
1: fixed in uh, HDP. That's the Hortonworks distribution. Uh, I'm assuming you mean fixed in Yarn
0: itself. The Apache project. So they were fixed upstream. Okay. Um, and the yeah, they're they're all they're all fixed in public Jira's. but the um they're they're still in one of them is still in trunk and one of them is in is targeted against HD uh, against Hadoop um, two dot eight. So it's, it's going to be up to each individual distribution to backport those fixes into their current distributions. I don't know if the others have, but I know that we have. Well, you definitely need a
1: distribution that's centered around yarn. I mean, not yes. all distributions are centered around yarn. Some distributions actually kind of don't like yarn, which is their prerogative, I guess. But any kind of multitenancy will be a
0: lot harder without that, of course. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And then, final thing um, for anybody following my uh, my journey through uh, Metron World, um, my Metron cluster fell over after around about ten days of operation, (laughs) Um, and uh, it turns out it's something really, really simple. Uh, So it's not you know running out of memory or memory leaks or anything like that. All that kind of stuff is working absolutely fine. Uh, no, it's the fact that it's it's missing some log rotate rules. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one of the things that, that Hadoop does really well is generate logs. And uh, there's there was one particular log that, uh, you know, 47 uh, gig later, um, filled up the root <laughs> partition to 100 gigs, uh, sorry, to 100%. Ooh. And uh, yeah, yeah, so, uh, surprise, surprise, that caused the whole thing to uh, grind to a halt. So there's a, um, a,
1: there's a double operation error there, having no log rotate and actually having your logs in your root partition. Shame on you.
0: Well, it, it, that's the thing. If, you, if you're looking at Metro at the moment, there's a couple of ways you can go ahead and deploy it. You can go ahead and deploy it in a single um, you know, vagrant image as a single uh, mm-hmm. instance. You can deploy it on a multi-node cluster, which I think is an 8-node cluster on AWS. Um, or you can go ahead and you know hand-crank the deployment yourself and all those kind of things. I went for the 8-node AWS deployment. Um, I, I wanted something that was a bit more Scalable and a bit more usable than just uh, just a single VM, and uh, yeah, the default automated deployments just kind of does all that for you. And yes, indeed, all your all of your uh, your logs filling up your root partition is, is bad <laughs> operations. But it is designed as a as a as a tech preview. It's not designed to be used in production, just to give you a flavour of things. Yeah. Um, but I, I it caused me to uh, go on to the um, the community forums around metron uh, uh-huh. posted a couple of uh, questions and dug around a bit and uh, basically i found found the uh, the git pull request for the log rotate rules I thought great, Uh, and in fact, uh, David Lynch uh, pointed me to the right direction for that. Um, But then I noticed that actually the particular log in my case that uh, you know forty-seven gigs later filled up the root partition uh, wasn't in the uh, the new log (laughs) rotate rules that they're planning to get into uh, Tech Preview two. So I pointed that out, and in fact, I've seen a flurry of emails uh, last night, um, you know, getting that uh, getting that request in as well. So. Um, Metron Metron deployment continues apace. So, but if you are if you are looking at Metron, um, either add your own log rotate rules, you know, clean stuff out yourself, or or do something. Otherwise, uh, be prepared for that to uh, bite you as well.
1: Yeah, it's good to hear though that the Metron community is apparently open to interaction, and uh, you were e- easily able to find help and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. In fact, I think it was. Um, it was less, certainly less than twenty four hours um, before I had a had a response, a very complete response from um, some of the Metron team. So yeah, I I would thoroughly encourage. It. In fact, that I've I've been I've been fiddling with it a bit. I added a couple of different data sources to it. Um, Uh, So I just put a span up an AWS instance and started it, you know, listening to the internet and therefore immediately people started trying to hack into it, Uh, (laughs) you know, which is, which is kind of what you get. Um, But so I, I found it really quite easy to start feeding data sources into it, you know, a bit of trial and error and uh, some of the uh, documentation is, is uh, had a few bugs in it early on, which have also been fixed um but yeah i am I'm, I'm really enjoying the metron experience uh, so far which i have a background in insecurity reaching back into my past a little way so it's it kind of yeah it's quite near and dear to my heart so i'm i'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that continues to develop
1: yeah, a bit of a side question, perhaps, but I know you've got a uh, little mini cluster on your desk there somewhere, and you chose to go to AWS. Uh, specific reason yeah. for, just easiness, or
0: uh, yeah, it was just it's just ease of use. The the deployment mechanism is not set. It, it it is literally you can install on a single Vagrant image, or you can install on AWS. And if you want to do anything else, then you've got to hand crank it. Oh, okay. Right now, I just I don't have the, the spare time to go and do a hand crank deployment. So, uh, uh, yeah, I just went for the ease of use, spin up on AWS, and, and away you go. Um, but yes, yeah, my, my plan is definitely to add add Metron uh, into uh, into an existing cluster. I think that would be quite cool. Cool. So that's uh, that's it for my two weeks. Anything else from you, Jon?
1: No, I think we've uh, rambled on long enough.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So in that case, um, we're going to wind up this first section, and after the break, we've got uh, Samit Singh, uh, senior director of cloud and big data platforms from Yahoo. We met up briefly with uh, Samit at the Hadoop Summit, and uh, he uh, agreed to do an interview with us and and talk to us about how how uh, Yahoo are using Hadoop. So uh, stay tuned after the break for a. I think quite an interesting uh, session, and in fact, so interesting, we decided to split it up into two separate interviews, so you're going to get two episodes of Sumit Singh Goodness. Enjoy. I know I did. Today we have an interview with Sameet Singh, Senior Director of Cloud and Big Data Platforms at Yahoo. Welcome, Samit.
2: Good evening, Dave.
0: Great to hear from you. Um, we uh, we got a chance to uh, chat very briefly while you were at uh, the Hadoop Summit, and we set this up to catch up a bit later. But um, for, for people that uh, that don't know you, it didn't get a chance to catch up your session. Um, uh-huh. Could you give uh, give people a quick introduction to yourself?
2: Yeah, so I uh, lead products for the cloud and big data platforms at Yahoo, um, which entails the Hadoop platform, HBase, Storm, things like that, and some of our cloud services, particularly in the storage and search space.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, and how did, you, uh, how did you first get exposed to Hadoop?
2: Ah, that's a very interesting question. So, you know, I started at Yahoo close to five years ago, um, and I did not know a whole lot about Hadoop at that time. So my job was to lead uh, technology strategy functions for a group that existed then called Cloud Platform Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was way back in 2011. Um, right after I think the Hortonworks uh, spinoff had happened from Yahoo.
0: Um,
2: So all that was behind me when I started. um, And and obviously, I was leading cross-functional strategy for the entire cloud platform group. And Hadoop was a small part of that group. Um, The Hadoop development and and, um, operations was a small part of that group. Um, And and obviously, it, it uh, always looked interesting to me, so as I started on that job, um, I got to learn a whole lot more about Hadoop uh, and obviously some of the other areas like mobile platform personalization um, cloud services themselves um, so classical cloud services like you know openStack virtualization. Um, containers and stuff. And and Hadoop was something that was very interesting to me, and obviously I had expressed that interest to my management. Um, So when some of the changes happened um, in in early 2012, um, I was tasked with uh, leading products for that group. Um, And that's where it all began.
0: Excellent. That's really good. So you... um, I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask is really how does how does Yahoo use Hadoop? Now I'm pretty I'm fairly aware from some of the conversations that the answer is uh, Yahoo uses Hadoop for everything, but yeah. you know how how would you how would you kind of break down that sort of uh, that usage?
2: Yeah, no, that's a very good question, and, and actually, and and that's probably one to understand. Um, In in a way, sort of Yahoo makes use of Hadoop versus somebody else who may be thinking about making use of Hadoop. Um, And that's one of the points we keep sort of emphasizing when we talk about Hadoop at Yahoo, um, is that we see it as a platform, uh, a hosted service for the entire company. Mm -hmm. Um, We also view that as a singular source of truth for all data in the company. Right, so a a platform for the company where we offer hosted services. Um, so no one exactly has to deal with the intricacies of the platform. That's our business. Um, our users simply use the platform uh, or consume services off of the platform. The second is this idea that we have consolidated the data across the entire company in in a singular source of truth. Um, And then the third is that we do not um, view Hadoop as, I would say, a platform merely for uh, data analytics or data processing. I think we view the platform as a platform that can practically do all types of Um, demanding use cases that a web-scale operations may have. Um, So just to touch upon how it sort of caters to different uh, product teams across the company, um, let's take communications, which is one of our core businesses where we have things like Yahoo Mail, uh, which is one of the largest mail services on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, things like messenger, app contacts. So all kinds of things that go around communication. Um, the, and those were the early use cases for Hadoop at Yahoo, where we started to use the platform to build models for spam filtering. Um, and even as of today, uh, Hadoop is used to filter billions of spam mails every day so that the user's mailboxes are free of clutter, you know, they actually get the messages they are interested in, emails they are interested in, and not spam. Um, so, that's uh, a sort of canonical use case um, and has always been in the from the early days of Hadoop. Now, if you switch gears and look at Flickr, which is one of our photo-sharing sites, which is also part of that comms product team, mm-hmm. um, we do... Uh, image detection uh, which is yet another sort of use case for hadoop uh, although it is very heavy in deep learning and machine learning but the image storage image tagging image detection um all of that happens on hadoop and in a combination of things like storm and hbase but um the point here is that we view the platform as something that can actually do practically anything as far as our businesses are concerned. So some of the other businesses, let's say our search, um, in a search assist, um, the, when you type a query in the search box, we show you suggestions um, or your query intent, uh, we call that search assist, um, all that. Uh, sort of building up that assistance happens on Hadoop. Um, The World Wide Web itself is indexed uh, on um, Hadoop or a combination of Hadoop, Storm, and HBase again. uh, We call it our incremental content management platform, uh, where we crawl the the World Wide Web um, on a real-time basis and update the indices on a real-time basis, uh, particularly for our mobile search. So, um, and as if you cross um, towards, let's say, things like advertising, Um, Then practically everything around advertising and again one of our core offerings in the advertising space is called Gemini, which is our native advertising platform. So um, if you, if you think of Gemini, I mean, I think of Gemini as being built completely atop uh, the big data platforms. Uh, and, of course, a lot of serving systems are in play, too. But um, from the perspectives of um, ad budgeting, which is a core function in, in any campaign management on, on online advertising, reporting, uh, billing, Um, pacing, which is to uh, match supply and demand properly uh, or sort of adhere to the contractual terms of an advertising campaign, all that type of processing, that stuff, managing the supply, managing the demand, uh, the the whole campaign management around um, an online um, advertising campaign, All that happens on top of Hadoop. Um, And then the value-added stuff in advertising, such as ad targeting, um, building models for, let's say, click prediction and things like that. All of that happens on Hadoop. So um, I'm just trying to give you a flavor for what the platform's capable of and what it does for Yahoo!, uh, and I can go on and on uh, <laughs> uh, from from the use cases standpoint. I mean, practi- we, we uh, as of today have roughly 300 use cases running on just the Adoop platform um, and then about 50 or 60 use cases um, on, on HBase and Storm. Um, and then they, those use cases also use Adu. Uh, so it it is a very broad um, and very diverse set of use cases that runs on the platform, which is exactly where the term we coined behind every click at Yahoo comes from, um, to sort of mimic that idea that you know it's not only an analytics or data processing platform, it actually is a platform can can that can run an enterprise business like ours or a web scale business like ours.
0: Excellent. Excellent. It does really sound like it. It, it is the. I mean, the, the single source of truth that you mentioned. You know that that is kind of the data lake premise, isn't it? It's the exactly. It's the it's the concept that uh, you know whatever you need or how however you need to uh, uh, get hold or represent or analyze or whatever do whatever to your data. The, yeah. the data lake is the single resource to, to go to to get it.
2: It is, and you know, that lake existed, um, and some people call it the ocean, not the lake, but um, <laughs> it, it always existed, uh, although the, the term itself got coined later, uh, but the yeah. philosophies and, and the actual sort of existence of that, uh, that data lake concept existed.
0: Yeah, Excellent. Um so I mean you you've already talked a little bit about some of the, the different teams that uh, that kind of uh, work on or have access to or are developing on um the the, the Hadoop environment. You know what are the sort of the, the rough uh, sizes of these kind of teams, you know the team responsible for operating and managing the environment for example, but also the the overall kind of user community around it.
2: Yeah. Um, so the the team that builds and manages the platform is really small, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, thanks to to the Apache Open Source Foundation, um, what a lot gets done from companies outside um, uh, of Yahoo, uh, which 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 is what allows us to keep that team extremely small um, and, and really sort of focus on things that that are needed from our perspective, um, as well as. Really use the open source community as a um, an, as an extended team, so to say, uh, yeah. for for that development and extension of the platform. Um, the operations team is also extremely small, um, probably ten or less, um, for 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 the entire infrastructure I described to you. Yeah. Um, and again, there is a reason for that. We have um, sort of automated a lot of our operational processes um, or are in the process of further automating them. Now, the user community, on the other hand, is very large. Um, mm-hmm. So if you think of the the core sort of engineers across product teams who work on this platform, I would put that number to be somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 um, who do actual co-development, code um, sort of development of, let's say, you know, uh, workflows, extensive their processing pipelines, um, build, designing and building their business logic as workflows uh, in terms of Pig scripts or hive scripts, or, or, or even interacting with the platform directly uh, through APIs. Um, so, so that Team is roughly 1,500, I would say, the the developer community. But if you take the uh, scientists and analysts and and people who do reporting and things like that, um, then that user base expands. And and I'll go to the extent of saying that nearly 30, 35% of Yahoo, um, all of Yahoo, I'm talking about, actually interacts with that platform in one way or the other in any given month. Um, so I would put that number close to three thousand.
0: Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, um, on on that sort of uh, on that theme, you know, Yahoo are obviously operating at a at a scale above and beyond the majority of uh, of organizations that are really just starting to encounter or maybe have been using Hadoop for you know a year or two. Um, what do you think some of the, the lessons that, uh, that you've seen learned by Yahoo or some of the best practices that you've been putting in place um, yeah. or things that you've observed generally uh, that could actually apply to anybody that's using Hadoop kind of almost regardless of the the scale that they're at?
2: Yeah, no, that, that's a very good question. So I I, if I sort of relate that to my own journey with the platform, mm-hmm. um, I would say one of the first things, um, at least I personally observed, was that the uh, the extent of uh, services that we were offering on the platform was limited, and and it was it was limiting our developer community. Um, so we have gone ahead and, and sort of. Um, uh, scaled, um, introduced, first of all, and scale those services on the platform um, so that at least um, we have the core services that um, developers need um, to enable their use cases present uh, and working at, at scale that we expect them to work at. Um, so. Obviously, matching the use cases to the technology was one of the things that we did early on, uh, at yeah. least that's in my experience. So you have to have the services that people would need so that they don't take workarounds uh, um, and get the best out of the platform. The The second, I would say, is that um, discovering data Um, And then governing data was a huge challenge and and sort of was an ignored challenge, um, although it was quite important. Uh, And people would spend enormous amounts of time and effort in figuring out where the data is, what does it look like, what does it mean, right? So not just the schema for the data, the semantics as well associated with the data, Um, And they had trouble. They really had to talk to the person uh, who was responsible for that data, not just one person in many cases, multiple people, um, to really figure out where the data is, understand what the data means, um, and then really try and get access to that data, which was yet another challenge, um, and then eventually make use of that data. So that period of discovery Um, understanding as well as the um, getting access to that data that was quite long uh, and frustrating. Um, So we've gone ahead and tried to solve for those um, in particular discovery and access. and then um, helping the company understand the the meaning of the data um, through various means. Uh, And again, we have taken a unique approach in the sense that we have tried to make use of the existing Hadoop ecosystem components to solve for these issues, um, as well as pursue automation around a lot of these things. Um, So that, I would say, was the second uh, biggest lesson learned or or best practices as it emerged. Um, Yeah. Third area, which also often gets ignored, is that um, you need to have extensive capability or tooling um, around the platform. Now, it could be in the form of an ecosystem product uh, in the Hadoop family, but um, the ability to audit the platform in a very uh, sort of extensive and easy way is a key capability when you're operating platform at scale. Um, So if someone asks me who accessed this data yesterday between 10 and 11, I should be able to answer that question really, really quickly um, without sort of, um, you know, wasting too much time. Um, now that's a very simple question, like, oh, who accessed this file? Can you tell me the list of people who accessed this file between 10 and 11? Who yeah. brought in data to the platform? Who took data out of the platform? Um, you know, these types of questions, uh, become important, um, and critical, um, at time sensitive in many cases too under uh, specific situations. So having the ability to audit the platform itself. Um, is a key capability that people don't think about uh, or ignore it and later realize that they should have actually worked on that forever um, and and keep a sort of historical trail of what happened on the platform. That's really important. Um, so I would say that's the third one. Um, and probably the, the fourth um, in my list would be uh, this idea of ease of use. Um, Now, distributed computing is not easy for everyone. It is complicated. And so making the platform really, really easy to use um, is paramount. and, you know, things like, you know, UI-driven development, things like much higher level abstractions of API or um, higher level abstractions of how you interact with the services or the platform is really important. Now, remember I said this developer community that I'm catering to is about 1,000 engineers, but the extended community is 3,000. That yeah. extension... That extension in the user community has only happened because we have tried to make the platform easy to use. Um, We have people from sales and marketing organization actually working with Hadoop. They're not engineers at all, uh, but they are working with Hadoop. And the only reason they're able to do that is because we've made the platform easy enough so that they can come in and interact with it uh, or, or interact with the single place uh, or single source of truth where all data in the company is. They want that data. They don't want subsets of data that they have to work with, then again, with an isolated reporting solution. So um, ease of use is extremely critical not only from the perspective of getting onto the platform, so we've done a lot of improvement and automation in the areas of tenant onboarding onto the platform. Mm -hmm. But again, ongoing operations in terms of them being able to request specific storage quota, specific compute quota, namespace quota, um, being able to effectively collaborate with um, these customer requirements on a common platform where you also have enough visibility in terms of what they have been assigned today, what they're doing with it today, are they running out of storage space? Um, and and then a, a heightened level of transparency in terms of what the total cost of ownership is uh, for the, the projects or tenants that onboard onto the platform. And then eventually uh, making the platform really, really easy to use. So it's a full life cycle of a tenant, all the way from onboarding onto retirement of a particular project that you have to make extremely easy and automated for, um, for your sort of customer base or user base. That was highly ignored. Um, and I think that is an area where we have done a lot of work in the last several years. Uh, And it has come to a point where people now actually appreciate the platform much more. Um, And so these are the types of efforts that have resulted in that increase in customer base or user base. And and last but not the least, I think um, making machine learning easy on the platform is an initiative where we've also invested a lot of time and resource in the last two years. Um, And we firmly believe that Hadoop's an exciting place to advance uh, machine learning capabilities because that's where the data is. Um, So, you know, doing it in an isolated fashion may or may not be the best approach as long as uh, you know you you're working with Hadoop you have a Hadoop install I think that's exactly the place where you conduct your model building uh, do all kinds of interesting things when it comes to machine learning so I would put these five as my top sort of uh, uh, lessons learned best practices that I have come to understood
0: I think that's a that's a great set of uh, things for people to be considering when they're uh, regardless of what step they are at in their in their particular journey I wanted to kind of highlight a couple of those and because especially um, you know the, the concept of ease of use I think is something that uh, especially organizations that are just getting into this are, are still quite you know afraid of, of the 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 technology they, they see it as something you know scary something that's going to require you know a whole new set of of learning and understanding Um but actually, you know, there there are things available that uh, that can make this platform easier to consume, uh, easier for, as you say, kind of sales and marketing people even to to gain access and to more importantly gain business value out of it relatively easily. Um, but it, it's yep. you know, it's maybe not it's not the immediate view that you get of the platform. The immediate view you usually get is, oh my god, you know, there's there's. At least kind of, you know, if you look at any given Hadoop distribution, there's, you know, 22-plus different projects all with strange yeah. names that yeah. I need to understand, oh, how am yeah. I ever going to cope? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it's not that scary.
2: It is not. Um, and again, if you come with that view, that top-down view that, you know, let me start with this idea that I'm going to work with um, the highest level of abstraction and then, you know, the beauty of the platform is that it's flexible. It caters to all kinds of people. Like, you know, if people really want to write, um, the Java MapReduce, uh, I work with the, the Java APIs for MapReduce, you're welcome to. <laughs> um, but, but for a sales operations person who just wants to run a report on advertising quality, uh, yep. for him, that's not appropriate. So, um, if you start from this view that, you know, you will have users who do not want to understand anything or actually are not interested in understanding how uh, a Spark or a Tez or a MapReduce job gets executed on the platform, and that's totally fine, too. Um, yeah. in, in fact, this realization that, yes, the platform has really become that much more easier to use came in when, when actually, I saw a senior vice president uh, Run, run a Hadoop job on the platform. So,
0: it's <laughs>
2: uh, it's uh, it, it is not that scary, um, and and I, I want to instill confidence in you know whoever hears the podcast that it is not um in the types of people we now see use the platform were not the types of people who were using platform before so obviously it has come a long way in the last three four years in terms of you know the the abstractions that have gotten created which has made the platform extremely easy to use
0: very much so
1: as dave said earlier we are splitting this great interview with Sumit over two episodes We do hope you enjoyed this first part and you can definitely look forward to hearing the second part in the next Roaring Elephant episode. Until then, we definitely already want to thank Sumit for his time and the excellent information he has shared with us during this interview. After the music, we will continue this episode with questions from the audience. Stay tuned.
0: So you're now joining us on our third and final section of the podcast, our listener questions, uh, questions from the audience. In this section of the podcast, we answer questions received from you, our faithful and glorious listeners. Uh, If you have a question uh, or you would like us to answer a question on the podcast, please send an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org, use our Hadoopcast Twitter handle Or go to our website, www.roaringelephant.org, where you can find out more information about the podcast and, more importantly, a contact form to fire those questions in. Uh, We do read each and every email that comes to us, uh, although we don't automatically and immediately respond to them. just depends on where we are and and how much we need to put together to get that answered.
1: Yeah, we do try to match the questions a bit with the topic of the podcast.
0: Absolutely. Um, So... With Regardless of how you contact us, we're more than happy to receive your feedback. Um, so, leading into uh, our first question, I think the first one's yours, Jan.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the listeners was asking us, and I'm uh, paraphrasing a bit, shorting the question. If you have a Hadoop cluster out there, would you have one cluster for all your workflows, a full multi-tenant cluster, that is, or have a separate cluster for every workflow? It's a very good question. It's one I've, I've heard a lot from uh, Customers and customer interaction before. And as with everything, it, there's no real definitive answer here because both ways of doing it have merit. Uh, on the one hand, having a single cluster for all your workflows does give you a lot of synergy. You have all the data in one place, and whatever workflow you want to start on it, you have the data ready and available, which is good. It also helps a lot with security. because Securing one cluster means you can really focus on that cluster and make it really, really secure Uh, If you compare them to having a dozen clusters, you have to do everything a dozen times. And everybody who knows things about IT, you know you never redo the same thing exactly. So it's a little bit different, which makes it harder to maintain. That being said, of course, there's also merit in having multiple clusters. For example, you could have a cluster specifically for your Hive SQL queries and have a separate cluster for your real-time streaming stuff. If both of those workflows don't share that much data, you can have a separate cluster for that. And sometimes it's a necessity from a security point of view, not saying that a single Hadoop cluster is not secure, but sometimes legal issues actually prevent you from having certain data in combination with other data on the same server. And in that case, of course, you're legally obliged to uh, split them up. Much of you want it.
0: I think you've pretty much uh, pretty much covered that. I think the only thing I would probably add is uh, you mentioned the kind of interactive uh, interactive jobs with things like Hive queries and and real time streaming with maybe uh, you know maybe some Storm and some Kafka, um, uh, and yeah, that being a, a reason to potentially separate the clusters. I think that's potentially true of course the other option if you've got that particular use case is to use uh, yarn labels so that you have you know a single cluster but it's logically split so you have you know uh, a bunch of nodes that have the uh, um the storm and kafka um, services running on them uh, and the the data nodes um for your hive and um you know mm-hmm. your other interactive processes are the rest of the cluster and you know it's still a single cluster you know and bari still sees it as a single cluster for example but you know from a logical perspective yarn is able to um you know prioritize the workloads so that uh, you you don't overstep your mark and you're able to keep those kind of real time guarantees for Um, service and latency.
1: Yeah, Excellent point about the Hadoop, uh, the Yarn labels. uh, Also because if you have a batch and a real-time workflow in the same cluster, you're probably not going to be using the same type of server for that. And being able to bind your, I don't know, Hive stuff to the more disk-intensive and your real-time streaming stuff to the more memory-intensive servers, that's a very big plus. And also made me think about another reason why some people think they have to split clusters, and that's uh, commercial software licensing. Even though Hadoop is totally open source, a lot of times you will be using a piece of commercial software in your workflow, and those typically get licensed per node. And if you don't want to spend a lot of money to have all 200 of your nodes licensed because you can only use 10 of them because you only have enough data to use 10 of the nodes productively, Yarn Labels will also make sure that you actually point all the workflow that needs the license to the servers that have the license. So no need to have a separate cluster for that.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and that kind of leads on from the uh, the, the topic that uh, we introduced right at the start when I was talking about uh, conversations around SAS and Hadoop. That's exactly the sort of the, the use case that was being used there, but it absolutely applies across uh, other environments as well. Um, I suppose the only other thing I can think of uh, on this topic is we're seeing uh, lots of organisations really starting to build value add services on top of Hadoop, and um, in some cases, those organisations are building things that you know they require a Hadoop cluster dedicated to themselves. So, you know, I've seen solutions from Tech uh, Mahindra with their Tap, the Tech Mahindra mm-hmm. Analytics Platform, uh, operating largely in that way. I've seen solutions from Amdocs, for example um doing, doing similar kind of things. So I think that's, I I personally prefer organizations to be thinking about, you know, a multi-tenant data lake for all the reasons that that Jan, um, stated at the beginning of his, uh, his, his conversation. But, um, you know, sometimes there are, there are requirements, there are needs. Um, and I think we've covered the variety of those for, for going with separate clusters.
1: Yeah yeah actually that's a good point you mentioned there because you've used you've been using the word solution a couple of times in that sentence of yours and i was immediately thinking about Metron and some other things that are going to be popping up in the near or distant future perhaps and that's also transition from having hadoop barely as a as a, purely as a as a framework and now it's moving more of a sol- to a solution uh, environment, and our well, solutions do kind of become black box ish. Uh, I would always hope that in a Hadoop situation with open source is never going to be as black box as a commercial to a solution will be. But if you in fact have a security problem and you install Metron to solve that problem for you then you would pretty much want to have metron installed as a as a single solution somewhere that gets maintained on its own and has isolation from the rest i guess and same thing for the uh, solutions you just mentioned there
0: yeah and that is the the current uh, current direction as i understand it for metron uh, it's not designed to be on a you know a multi-tenant data lake. It's designed to be on its own Hadoop cluster environment. So, you know, data sources that you ingest into Metron, um, you are obviously more than welcome to then pass through onto your uh onto your other Hadoop environments, but it it's designed to operate in a, a specific way. There's a lot of smart things that Metron does with um with data enrichment, for example, that aren't necessarily as relevant uh, if you're not looking at data from a security perspective, you're not going to want the data all potentially enriched in the same way. You're going to want to join it with other data for for other reasons. So, yeah, I think all of all of those things apply. I, I would like to see it moving towards a, a more, this is just an application you could deploy on any data lake. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're at the early days and early stages of, of this whole journey, not just for Metron, but for a lot of other solutions based on Hadoop, I think. Hopefully, we'll get there.
1: Uh, it's pretty generic. I think it's most, it mostly it's a ease-of-use thing because when you have Metron installed, and let's just assume that Metron is a fully-fledged, finished product at this point, which it isn't, uh, you'll have a nice user interface to twiddle the, the knobs and whatever, change the priorities or whatever you want to do with the Metron thing. But the moment you start integrating that with your other workflows, it will invariably start encroaching on that Metron-only space and you will make it harder to maintain.
0: True, true i'm i'm wondering you know as as we look uh, further down the line you know we i think we we may well have talked about the, the way that hadoop is evolving um you know the the journey to hadoop 3.0 is we're looking at options like uh, you being able to install multiple versions of the same service, so you can have, mm-hmm. you know, a cutting-edge version of Hive on the same cluster as a as a standard version of Hive, for example. Um, and if you if you look at that, is there not also an option to? Um, be running these different environments with different configuration settings as well. So potentially you could be you know, twiddling yep. knobs or dials that alter your Metron configuration for one version of Hive and have a completely separate configuration set for another version of Hive that all of your end users are using for interactive purposes, for example.
1: Yeah, that's with the continuing of having Yarn become totally agnostic of whatever it's running, just becoming a job schedule resource manager, which basically is what it is. And that's with the Yarn on, uh, well, Docker on Yarn, it's uh, called, I think, not Yarn on Docker. And the big advantage there being that Docker actually allows you to have a pseudo file system that can ship all the libraries, environment, whatever you need with it. So that that would make it a big step in that direction. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Interesting times. Oh, it always <laughs> are. <laughs> Uh, There's one other thing, one other reason that sometimes you need different uh, clusters. I was just thinking here while you were talking, and that's when you want to do something like cloud bursting. If you want to have a specific workflow which isn't part of your regular jobs, but you need extra space, and you can't just buy, I don't know, a dozen more servers and then throw them away again after two weeks, you might go to the cloud for that. And then, of course, you will probably have a separate cluster, because having a federated HDFS file system across clusters, that's still a big no-no.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although let, let's also be, be fairly brutally honest here. The whole burst into the cloud is actually, you know, it's not as, as seamless as some organizations True. or some people kind of try and make you believe. There's a lot of hard work behind making something like a hybrid cloud environment work. Not the, le- not in the least that you need to actually have your data, preferably already in a cloud environment ready, um, so that you can, your bursting into the cloud is spinning up compute tied to that yep. data rather than just adding compute randomly to your existing on-premise environment, which just yeah just doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah, when I say cloud burst, I didn't mean it as a dynamically auto-scaling thing because that will as long as HFS can't scale across boundaries, that's never going to happen. It's more of a set up a separate cluster. That was yep. the question I come from to put some data on and have a couple of people work on that separate from your production cluster, if you like. Exactly, exactly. Well, there's one other thing, though. Just uh, the more we talk, the more I think about. You do have the question always about uh, production, test, and development clusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that sometimes, well, I guess you do need a second cluster, a lot smaller than your production cluster probably, to do testing on the Hadoop
0: software itself. Infrastructure. Yeah. It's all about, so uh, this test, dev, prod kind of conversation is always, for me at least, it's always around infrastructure you need to be able to test things like upgrades whether it's hadoop upgrades upgrades of uh, of you know other software that you're running on the environment you know adding you know different categories or types of hardware that's what you need to test on on separate clusters but actually you know users no you know you can have developers operating on your production cluster mm-hmm. you separate them you manage the capacity using capacity scheduler um, and, you know, you maybe they're not accessing the production data, but they're accessing maybe anonymized versions of that data, or maybe they are accessing that the, the production data. Maybe depending on how they're accessing it, that's okay.
1: Yeah, with uh, Ranger and Atlas, you can just uh, put in uh, dynamic rules that uh, will have those developers not see any PII data, and uh, exactly. production does, yeah.
0: exactly. Exactly,
1: yeah. Okay, I think we beat this question to death.
0: <laughs> I think we have. I think it is thoroughly, thoroughly, completely, utterly subdued. <laughs> you had another one. Okay, so second question and probably final, given the the time that we've rattled on here, uh, is how many people do you need to manage a Hadoop cluster? So when we had this uh, had this brief conversation um, with Sumit. Uh, And, you know, mentioned that uh, because obviously Yahoo have a very significant deployment. We've also had uh, similar conversations with other organizations who are operating Hadoop at very significant scale. And this, you know, how many people do I need to operate Hadoop? Um, for new organizations, it's always a big kind of, they see it as a big, scary question. It's new technology to them. They see all these different, you know, weird and wonderful, wacky project names like Pig and Hive and Scoop and Uzi. And, oh God, how am I ever going to learn all of this stuff? Uh, and, you know, they start thinking, well, I'm going to need, you know, a team of a hundred or a thousand people just to, just to you know, be able to understand all of this stuff. Um And, you know, it's, it's it's honestly, I mean, you can listen to uh, go back and, and listen to Samit's answer on this. It's it's just not that uh, it's not that case. Um, the overall team is going to be larger because you're going to have you know people responsible for ETL and people responsible for you know BI and maybe DevOps type folks as well. But the actual operations of the cluster is uh, you know, pretty simple. I think, Jan, you've got some actually real-world experience having done this yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, one of my previous lives, I uh, was, uh, uh, well, let's call it the dev op for a uh, Hadoop cluster and uh, started with a cluster of about 30 nodes at the beginning. And over the course of a year or so, it grew to about 250-ish nodes And basically, we had more people maintaining the 30-node cluster than the 200-node cluster because at the beginning, you're installing a lot of stuff, and that's hard. Yeah. But that's not maintaining. That's not operations. That's not infrastructure. That's really developing the thing. Once the cluster is up and running, all you basically need is a lot of optimization, definitely. Uh, Nagios, uh, Ganglia, whatever you're using, Cacti, uh, those definitely are your friends because they do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. You need a guy that does every two weeks, walk around the, the data centers to all the cracks and see if a disk has failed and call whoever your vendor is to replace a disk for you. And apart from that, it's just maintaining it. And then well, you need enough people to have somebody on site uh, at all hours because people will be using this cluster all through the day. And that's about it. So we basically handle the whole thing with, uh, I think, four or five people maximum.
0: Yeah. And those yeah. not
1: full FTEs—that's just four or five people each doing one third of his job on the Hadoop cluster.
0: Exactly. I mean, you need you need to have enough, uh, you know, enough ability so people can you know take holiday, can be <laughs> sick. Um, you know, you, you never want to run something like this at the. Uh, the the ragged edge of yeah. uh, ability. And but also, we actually wanted to uh, in, uh, allow for time for
1: the, one of for those people to be able to actually do some some developing, some figure out new things. Uh, when one of those new Apache projects came to fruition, let's see if this works. So, yeah. to expand their role to j- more than just doing infrastructure work, because that can be pretty boring. If your cluster is running well, it's a very boring job actually, because things are f- made to fail and to be fixed as easily. So having those people also giving them the the freedom to help develop, expand, evolve the cluster, that makes it a very much more enjoyable experience. Let's call that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And let's face it, the the, the Hadoop ecosystem, as we always mention, is you know continuing to accelerate uh, at a rapid pace. So actually you need that time. You need to be able to invest that time back into um, you know, making sure that you are on top of the new developments the the new projects that are spinning up the mm-hmm. new versions and the new releases, yeah yeah the
1: only way to keep uh, abreast of what's happening here is just by doing it
0: yeah, very much so
1: okay, if you have nothing else to add, nothing else from me well then let's call this a day, and we do hope again that you have enjoyed this serving of bite sized big data. As usual we'll be back in 2 weeks time with a new episode and until then please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information send us your questions and please give us a five star ratings on uh, on iTunes even though Dave says he hates iTunes those ratings do help other people discover the podcast by pushing us up a bit in the in the listings there If you don't think we deserve the full five stars, that's fine too, but do let us know why you think that, so we can improve. If you feel like it, use the feedback form, send us an email to podcast.roaringalphan.org with any thoughts, criticisms, or feedback. Until then, my name is Jon. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to
0: talking to you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Thanks a lot. See you soon.